0: Hi, I'm Amber, and welcome to the Lone Star Keto Podcast. Today we have a special guest with us, Eli Jarouge. He is a hospitalist and a health coach, and he has a lot of background in internal, internal medicine. Welcome, Eli.
1: Thank you, Amber. Thank you for having me.
0: Absolutely. I'm really excited. I follow Eli on Twitter and now on Instagram. I didn't even know you were there. Um, but, uh, he posts such wonderful things. It's so positive and he really focuses on obesity and diabetes, which are two of the things that I feel pretty passionate about. So we're going to be discussing a little bit of that. And also he is really big on trying to get to the root of the issues instead of just doling out medicine. And I love, 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 love that. And I love seeing more, more doctors get on board with this, that trying to find the actual problem instead of throwing medicine at it. Love that. Love that. So Eli, let's get started. And can you give us some background on you personal as well as professional? And I want to hear a little bit about your health story too, because I've read about that a little bit and, and you've gone through some things too, that I think really uh, plays a part in how you approach uh, medicine now.
1: Absolutely. Uh, thank you for having me again. Uh, my name is Eli. I was born and raised in Lebanon. Um, I, I grew up there until me- middle school, high school until age 18 and had the opportunity to uh, immigrate to the United States. So in 2000, I was 18, right on time for college. I came and I always wanted to be a, a doctor at the time. So growing up healthy, I saw a doctor come home and treat my grandmother. It was very like You know that kind of old-fashioned style So i was always fascinated by it and uh, i mean i was always healthy fit and athletic so i never thought about it i just want to be a doctor and help people Um, so i went through the traditional you know i didn't know much english so a lot of it i'm like french educated background so there's a lot of challenge in college and undergrad so came in culture shock all of that stuff but you know i had that mission to uh, become a doctor whatever that meant at the time so it was a track, one, one track mine. So I did undergrad in biology, then I uh, got into medical school. That was in uh, SUNY Buffalo, New York. Um, and uh, from there I had visited Houston for away rotation and I liked the Texas Medical Center. Excellent. And I decided uh, to um, apply there uh, among all the places. And I was uh, ranked uh, to match a match at uh, in Houston at Baylor. So I moved here in 2008. And then in 2008, 2011, that was my internal medicine training. I graduated medical school in 2008. Then I did nephrology uh, fellowship, which is training in kidney diseases from 2011, 2013. But I pivoted after that and went back to just general internal medicine in a hospital setting. And that's a field called hospital medicine or uh, I've become a hospitalist. Um, and then for the past 2013 until now, I've been doing that uh, from the county hospital to private hospital with a Baylor umbrella, uh, and that's uh, my career journey, but I can tell you about my health part.
0: Yes, let's go for it. I want to hear about your sure. health.
1: Yeah, so uh, I never took health. It was always a second thought because I was always lean and thin and athletic, so I never really thought about it, but from graduating uh, medical school to uh, through residency, just those years... Um, being busy in education and learning, uh, I started adding weight. But it was subtle, two, three pounds a year. So over a seven, eight-year period, I had gained 30 pounds. Um, waste, you know, started going up, We getting older, make fun of it. And, you know, uh, so then right around 29, 28, 30, when I was there, that was the lowest time of my health where I didn't realize I was having higher blood pressure. Um, I was tired all the time and then it throw, started throwing out my back I didn't take much of it uh, one time I was putting pants on and like my, my back gave out I don't know if you ever had that problem <laughs> no. and severe muscle status, and So I was like uh, twisted and walking in the mall just to get to my car it was miserable I was I was on the floor for two weeks um, and I kind of kind of ignored it and then that for the next year it kept happening every two three months just kind of if i try to work out or exercise i, I throw out my back if i pick up something uh, heavy throw out my back and then in between episodes i'm just kind of tight all the time feeling tired and didn't make much of it went to physical therapy uh, rehab and all that stuff nothing obvious everything looks good um, then i decided to look into nutrition you know uh, i wanted to lose some weight I was almost kind of judged or pass judgment on people like you're overweight because you eat more. Duh, you know you just have to stop eating, and you would judge people. Uh, obviously now I regret <laughs> all of that, but at the time so that was like I'm eating fine, I don't eat a lot, but I'm packing on weight. Uh, so I started looking into that. I Started with the Whole Thirty. At the time it was popular, 2014, uh, the Whole Thirty program, which is paleo, and uh, uh, and then. I lost 15 pounds and I was like, okay. Then my back started getting better. So I I wasn't thinking about it. Then I did it again. I lost another five pounds so 20 pounds total. Then I slacked off like everybody else. I was like, okay, I'm done with the 30 days and let me go back to normal. And then weights are coming back up and then having the same issues. Uh, Then I started hearing about these crazy ideas about keto and, um, you know, saw, you know, Gary Tubbs somewhere online. And then, uh, you know, uh, Jason Fung and all that stuff. So I started reading, but I was scared of it because, you know, fat, uh, it kills you, you know, it gives you heart heart disease. So um, then I decided in 2017 or 18 to just dive into keto and just experiment with myself. And uh, I did it for two, three months and I was like, never felt better in my life. With my back thing completely gone. Uh, lost weight more than I expected. I lost 35 pounds, so I was like down to when I was 16, 17 years old. Like, all right. Um, and then I became like, you know, you can't unsee it when you see it. So I could not, then I had to learn more. So i dive into podcasts and reading books and all that stuff. We I mean, can go as much as you, visit, as you want, but from there, I started gravitating more meat-heavy because I developed a keto rash, which was Completely miserable for me because I would like hop in on my neck and my back. I was very lean um, and I felt great otherwise, but that rash would never go away. I tried so many things. Mm. And I was at a conference somewhere and people told me, uh, one guy told me, you're probably not eating enough protein. And I thought about it. Okay. But the, at the same time, I was in deep ketosis. So every time my like three, four millimoles, I'm like really wired and, uh, and feeling good, but the rash is itching. It just of the scar. Mm. So pivoted. Uh and then this when the rash went away and I started feeling even better, more steady, and I don't have to look for fat and just dump fat on everything. Uh so I, I changed that. And that's how I evolved, you know. I kept my mind open and then uh, you know, shifted to that. And now I've kind of focused on the big concepts rather than particularly call it in anything particular, you know, seems to trigger a lot of people. So I, I remove those words, keto, carnivore, paleo, you know, just kind of focus on real food, you know. Uh, so here, here I am.
0: That's actually really smart. Uh, And and I'm seeing more and more people do that because for whatever reason, you say the word carnivore and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, or even keto, it's getting a little bit better with keto, but still uh, people just all of a sudden put up a wall and it's done. They're over it because there's so much negativity for whatever reason. And people just have that negative attitude. So that's actually very smart and I probably should start <laughs> approaching it more I like thought, that.
1: I learned it the hard way, especially because when I tried to influence family, friends and family, and they're resistant, keto, that's crazy, that's, that's, that's too extreme. And, and I was, what is keto? I mean, what am I doing here? I'm really eating real food, but just change the proportions and turning things. Uh, so I think I was dogmatic maybe for a few months when I was like so excited about it, I discovered mm-hmm. like, you know, <laughs> the new world uh, and then you, you slowly uh, get humbled and uh, realize not everything is right. So I, I always find myself wrong certain things. and You just adjust and adapt. You know, I always thought, oh yeah, you can have all the fat you want. And then, then I realized, um, discovered, uh, Ted and, uh, went to the P P E PE ratio, PE diet route and I read his book. And I, so I, I added that into the mixture and I got even leaner. So I know there's more to the story than just, you know, low carb and I still believe it's Kind of the uh you know the the bedrock of it but uh there's more to it to the equation and it's very personal like some people cannot lose weight my sister i had to put her on long fasting despite being carnivore almost to kind of start losing weight break that hormonal uh uh dysregulation you know and some people they just stop and the next day they drop five pounds, you know, <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know that's mm, those people mm. although yeah. i with keto i was just like consistently dropping it was so easy every week a loss a loss every once in a while i'd go up and or stay the same but most of the time yeah. it was just a steady going down
1: and that's the patience do it see i never had a problem with my own body so i could never really relate but then when i start seeing family struggle and i have to find other solutions it's not everything just stop eating carbs you know it's just kind of what else is going on the emotional part uh, uh, fat part, the, uh, you know, frequent eating, I, I, there's so many different part of it. Um, so, you know, it just uh, kept changing my approach.
0: And and that's what I really like about you, the whole evolution. And that's where I'm kind of at now. Now, yes, I do call myself a carnivore, whatever, but I I don't care about titles. I don't care about all that. But I think you do do have to evolve, especially women. Oh, my goodness. As their hormones change, there's so much going on that what works for you today may not work for you tomorrow. And that's okay. That's okay. It doesn't mean what you were doing is wrong or bad. It just means your body's changing, adapting. You have to change and adapt with it and yeah. that's what I'm having to do I mean I'm struggling with a few things and
1: and I'm learning from the patients more like things I'm not even thinking about like a woman tells me oh I'm on menopause but I'm having a harder time so, like okay so I have to think I mean men are just you know just the same thing <laughs> you just, you, you, pretty you, much a, yeah. you get B with <laughs> women there's you know 17 different equations where you have to look into the hormone the cycle mm-hmm. and all these things and Uh, So it's more challenging, but it's definitely more interesting because you can still, uh, there's a solution for every problem. You just have to think outside the box a little bit and uh, not be too dogmatic and, you know, stuck to your own uh, guns, you know.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Before we uh, get into the questions, would you just clarify what exactly is a hospitalist?
1: Yeah, so it's a primary care doctor in the way of the hospital. So if you go to the emergency room and you're sick, you have COVID or you have pneumonia or you have heart attack or GI issues, you need to be admitted to the hospital for more workup and treatment. They call the hospitalist in the hospital. They, they basically run the show. It's been like this for 25 years or so. It's just kind of, uh, you become the primary care, you coordinate care, uh, you treat, you consult um, if you need to, uh, other consultants, cardiologists, uh, gastroenterologists, um, all kind of uh, fields. And once the care is done in the inpatient setting, they transition to the outpatient. So uh, I don't see patient in the clinic for that role. You just uh, work in the hospital. you run around and you're not on any clock. It's not, really, it's not like you have 30 minutes or 20 minutes to see the patient. You have a panel of patients. You got 12, your whole day just to kind of manage uh, the care. And that's what I like about it. It's very flexible. I can spend more time. Uh, with patients and you get a lot of time off when you're not working in the hospital and that's how I just managed to uh, uh learn myself a lot about nutrition and take it to the hospital sometimes and and so a kind of a natural progression start applying it with patients and just advising them there because i was so frustrated doing the same thing and seeing the same people not the same people like the same diseases um mm-hmm. uh, you know again and again and again and the complication
0: Absolutely. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about when you were in medical school. I hear a lot of doctors say that they did not either they didn't really get nutritional education or what they got was very limited and kind of from biased sources. What was your experience in medical school? Uh,
1: it's similar. Uh, you know, I don't actually remember what I ate last week. So sometimes you forget what we actually learned. There's so much information uh, in medical school, especially the first two, two years. What I remember most is first year, you learn a lot of biology, biochemistry, and real science. At that time, things make sense, you know, uh, Krebs cycle and uh, fatty, but, you know, fatty acid oxidation and how about glycolysis and gluconeogenesis, all these things that people just kind of like to talk about. But then when you start jumping to the clinical setting, you start with the pyramid and then you tell you, you have to eat 60% carbs, uh, and then the rest in the grain so at the time you're so busy to start to learn this stuff you don't even stop and question this doesn't make any sense uh so you're, you we get diet and nutrition education from a sense like the, what the pyramid what, what the healthy eating is supposed to be but really we don't dive into it beyond uh biochemistry and the rest becomes organ-based and you start how do you treat a heart attack how do you treat arrhythmia how do you treat a stroke how do you you know that becomes just disease-oriented rather than uh, whole system-oriented. So and nutrition just falls to the side, you know.
0: Yeah, and we've seen the results of that, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For sure. Um, okay, so I am going to read your mission statement just because I really liked it. And I've been kind of watching and and reading people's mission statements. I never really paid attention before, but there's some really good stuff out there. And I loved yours. I really loved it to reverse the course of obesity and diabetes one person at a time in order to maximize health span and allow you to live the healthiest life possible as long as possible. This is accomplished by attending to the physical, mental and emotional experiences in life and consciously respond to their causes. I love that because you know what diet is extremely important and it is a huge, huge, huge piece of the puzzle, but not the only piece of the puzzle. And if you're not attending to the other parts, it doesn't matter what diet you're on. It's not going to be a long-term thing because you haven't dealt with the mental and the emotional part. And I love that you focus on that. Okay. So you do focus on that. However, as a hospitalist, I'm assuming that is not something you can really get into. So my question is, you're also a health coach. Well, you're a doctor. Why are you going to be a health coach? Explain why.
1: Yes. Uh, well, this statement, obviously I'm not going to take credit for every word there, but, but because I, I am will borrow ideas, right? So I started with nothing with conventional set diet to evolve and start getting bits and pieces and you go through your own personal issues and your own uh you know insecurities and your own mental issues and and then you start to learn and then evolve uh and then realize become a whole picture and that and then by the time i decided to act on my desire to be a coach to help people it took you know a couple of years to formulate and become that person that i can help others Uh, So mental health, uh, I do focus on it uh, indirectly in the hospital, because when I sit down with a patient in a vulnerable state, they're sick and they really want to do something different. uh, It's easy to tell them, well, stop eating this. I mean, first of all, I tell them, whatever you do, just don't copy whatever on your tray is in the hospital, because that's where you (laughs) you start. (laughs) Uh, Then we talk about, you know, I mean, it just depends on the personality and the person who opens up. Sometimes they open up a lot. So we, I empower them. I talk about, you know, mental health in terms of focusing on really de- realizing what's right for you and just do the right thing and take, putting yourself first uh, because you can't help others and help your family if you're not in a healthy yourself, mentally, emotionally, uh, physically, um, uh, all that, all that stuff. So uh, to become a health coach, I didn't want to be tied down to uh, insurance and um, uh, expectations and things like that and uh, so I and I wanted to spend time and talk because as a doctor I mean yeah I can write a prescription but beyond that my MD degree is not what's needed for most patients Uh, What I need they need the handhold they need some education and somebody to kind of walk with them on that road I mean I've failed a few times I'm sure you've done much I mean my journey was by no means that extreme uh, i mean yes i had problems but i've seen some i mean you lost you mentioned i read your story like i don't know 100 over 100 pounds uh, half
0: my weight I, mm-hmm.
1: yeah so that's even i can imagine the burden of the psychological burden all the bullying or the teasing or whatever over over time so that you can be thin and still feel obese in your head uh, mm-hmm. so i wanted to be that coach where it's okay and you know you messed up today just start over, you know, don't, there's no point to go back. Uh, so I like that relationship uh, with people. So I just wanted to be a, a coach. I still play doctor because people in Texas are medically licensed here and they're diabetic and I'm, I'm helping them come off medication. So I do play the dual, dual role uh, with them. Uh, and even if I'm not going to be their doctor, I give them advice to talk to their doctor to, uh, to come off, you know, I just empower them to, to do more, not just, you know, Doctor said, I mean, don't, don't believe me, too. Just do your own research and try.
0: I love that you empower either your clients or your patients to take their health care back. I love that. I think that is so important because most, I'm not saying every doctor out there, not even, but you know, a lot will just be like, okay, this is the way it is, period. Don't question. I'm the doctor, you're the patient. Eh stop, you know, and and I find that a lot with women and and they have like, Mm -hmm. you know, all these issues, but you know, like I, I have pain constantly, I don't know what's going on. Eh, I don't know, maybe you have fibromyalgia, whatever, you're just gonna have to deal with it, yeah. you know, and see ya. And, and then they they're feeling so defeated and like, okay, so now what, what do me, I do? You know? Yeah, and yeah, that's exactly it. And, and and that's the same with um, you know, weight loss for so long, it it's the person that is to blame. And I'm not right. saying that you don't have a responsibility, obviously right. you do, but Sometimes the diet is wrong, it's just wrong, maybe okay for somebody else, but it may not be right for you. I'm not poo pooing on every diet out there, but you know, in my experience, what I'm seeing, you know, a lot of times it's the diet that failed you, not you failing. And And I just think it's sad,
1: yeah, it's very sad. That's why I tell people, don't expect anybody to save you. That's why you can blame whoever you want, you are responsible at the end of the day. And some people don't like it when I tweet about you are responsible they think i'm blaming people no we are responsible because who's going to do it for you you're the one who's gonna stop the victim mentality and then you know take things into your own hands and start doing something about it um you know try you don't know where to start start somewhere whatever you're doing is not working so try it doesn't matter what camp you want to start just try it doesn't work uh adapt and then uh, and then when you take action it becomes easier it's the hardest part is taking the first step uh, so
0: that's the truth. And, and then you can evolve from there. And yeah. it, it, it's okay. I mean, to try different things. It's okay to figure out what's right for your body. You don't right. have to do what everybody else is doing or right. what somebody tells you is the only way to do it. Oh, I really hate that. I really hate that. I've been getting a lot of that lately.
1: Black and white. I'm like, uh, 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 <gasps> even on a, in a low carb, in a, in a low, I mean, all, all camps it's just when they feel so sure of themselves, uh, you know they don't know enough. It's, yeah. uh, the, the more you learn, the less sure of yourself, become, the more yes. nuanced you become. <laughs> yes. uh, and you can tell you can tell who's, uh, I mean, I don't engage most of the time because I'm not interested because they're not there to learn. They're ask, they just want to, you know, feel better about themselves by, uh, you know, picking at your tweet. Uh, yes. But yeah, most of the people I respect, they, they, they just say, I don't know a lot. And that's uh, sometimes the best answer because so many, so much nuance in, in things. Um, and I learned from them. So I'm not, I mean, I admit it. I'm not the science guy. I don't, I'm not Ben Bickman. I'm not, uh, the guy who's, re- I'm not who's reading every paper, uh, under the sun, but I trust him. So I know he's doing all this stuff because that's, he's passionate about the science. And I, I like the synthesis of things and I test it out. It works. Uh, I'm good. I mean, and I can take it to the patient and or the client and help them.
0: I love that and see that's the thing when you find somebody that you really feel you can trust with the info, it doesn't mean that they're not going to be wrong but those type of people will admit it most of the time and say "Mm, you know what i was wrong with this now here's this new study and it's debunking all of that so now we kind of maybe need to look at this a little bit more and i love that i i will trust somebody like that i would rather somebody be wrong and figure out the right way than somebody who you know thinks they're perfect or whatever you know and it doesn't bother to change so i love that okay let me ask you why do you focus on obesity and diabetes why is it those two things
1: sure sure if i have a chance i would focus on everything uh, like uh, i think about cancer these days more often in a metabolic sense than anything else uh, fatty liver disease, uh, you know, strokes, heart attacks, all these autoimmune diseases, all these things. I know I always feel like diet will change it, but at the end of the day, I have to be more focused and I wanted to catch uh, as, much, as many fish as possible in my small net. So I found obesity and diabetes are the most prevalent and um, they're the common, common to all of these diseases, a lot of them, and they all share the same root cause, at least partially uh, same root cause. So if I focus on that, person who has obesity, most likely they have pre-diabetes, they probably have fatty liver disease, they may be anxious and depressed and they may have a higher risk of cancer. So if I just target the health, getting healthy from that standpoint, I can affect everything uh, downstream directly or indirectly. Same with uh, diabetes. If I I focus on diabetes, I probably prevent them from ending up on dialysis, which is the field I trained in and I, they don't want to do because it's, it's a it's chronic management of things. So that's why I, I want to focus as, uh, be as broad as possible and as focused as possible at the same time. Uh, hopefully that makes any sense.
0: That does. It makes sense to me. I get it <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And, and so with the patients that you see, what is a very common Thread through it, like what do you see the most of? What what can you like boil it down to? Um, I, I'm sure you see a wide variety, be, but but is there a commonality?
1: Yeah, um, I sometimes feel about that. I, I mean, I'm making up the statistics. It's more than fifty percent, but let's say sixty to seventy percent of patients in the hospitals are there due to complications of chronic metabolic diseases. Uh, most often, it's diabetes. So every time. I mean, you write the history and physical and then you become numb to what you write, but so and so with history of diabetes, hypertension, uh, coronary artery disease, you know, all these, you list, they always come in cluster, uh, admitted for, um, a stroke or admitted for heart attack or admitted for uh, ischemia or the lack of blood flow to the leg or kidney failure or anything like that. So it's the same stu- stuff that. If we rewind the clock 10, 15 years ago, they would never be here if we act on it then. So I'm not talking about people who get pneumonia or get into a car accident or uh, genetic mutation or something. Of course, people are going to get sick. We're all going to die one day. Sometimes we're going to need care. But most, most of it is something that's preventable. And a lot of times it's too late when you get this massive stroke. I mean, what are you, you going to do? Uh, I'd rather be dead than be uh, a vegetable in bed. Um, but a lot of times you can reverse things, you know, um, high blood pressure, reverse it, diabetes, reverse it. So you don't get to those complications. Okay. So so So
0: the, the whole diabetes reversal thing, I've heard so many people say, you don't know what you're talking about. Just shut up. Once you have diabetes, you always have diabetes. You have to have insulin and you have to have carbs. You must have carbs through the day and they follow to the T the guidelines of right. the ADA. What is your thought on that? Like, can you, you really reverse diabetes? I mean, really, can you reverse it? Or are you always well,
1: <laughs> type two, type
0: two? Not one type right, two, right. we'll not, just leave yeah, it at that.
1: Yeah, really yeah. Ooh, they go, yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so type two is insulin resistance. uh, reading to a point where your body can't hide any sugar. So just slow in your bloodstream. You got there for a reason, uh, and you got there by the way you're eating. And the only way to reverse it is to reverse the way you're eating. Uh, I used to think chronic disease, you can't do anything about it, just diabetes. I mean, just kind of more thoughtless, not like a believer, I just I accepted it. I mean, that's, oh, they can't, they can't be wrong, wrong, you know, it's, uh, uh it's, you know, authorities are telling you this. Um, so you prescribe more medicine when you give more medicine that, now we have more options, but before more medication that raise your insulin even further, which you already have too much of it. And then they gain more weight and they said, doc, I'm gaining weight. Will you stop, you know, eat less, you know, you, uh, yes, the side effect, and you get insulin, you're gonna gain weight, but when you gain weight, your diabetes gets worse. So after a few years, you're, you start with one medication, two, three, then you become on insulin and you just kind of, you blow up and then you start having all these complications. Um, and then you see diabetes reversal. If you don't want to use the word reversal, you can put a remission because a remission may be a better term because if you go back to your old lifestyle, it's gonna come back. Uh, so call it whatever you want. It's basically a temporary reversal or uh, putting in a remission by removing the offending cause. Uh, you know, if you have a splinter in your finger, it hurts. Don't you know? Just remove the splinter. So let's uh, remove the food that keeps your insulin high uh, and then that works. And, and I believe it because I work with clients, sometimes they've been on medication for years and within a few days uh, they're calling me oh, my sugar is 50. Then I have to quickly stop some, I, I knew it was going to come, but I didn't know like that fast, you know, and especially, you know, so just giving them the right advice is sad, like to be on insulin for 15, 20 years. And then within a week of starting, you're like dropping medicine left and right. So it almost makes you angry because really? Yes, it's simple, Uh, not too simple, but not complicated either. So you just have to, it is reversible or <laughs> whatever it, <animation>. <laughs> <laughs> you want to
0: call it yeah, yeah. It, it, that is kind of a tricky terminology really but i think that's true with so many things i mean just like obesity it, i mean yeah. once you lose mm-hmm. weight you're not obese anymore right is that just you know a reversal or is that a, what is it but if you went back to eating the way you were you're gonna blow up again or if you have yeah. other conditions yeah i mean there's not always that so there's a lot I mean, of new ones always the like the thing.
1: minutiae stuff but you know big picture mm-hmm. you're right uh you know that i mean it is like that, but the problem, I think people, it's easy to say and give advice, but unless the person does the work, it's all a waste. And that's why people, uh, dieticians and doctors who don't believe it, because they're human beings themselves and they have the same issues. They have the weight issues, they have the cravings, they eat, you know, so they, I think it's a reflection of them not wanting to change their own lifestyle and to project it. Uh, and they may not even be aware of the psychological effect, you know? Um, you know, I, I go to a doctor's lounge with muffins and bananas and uh, granola bars and old sodas. And you walk these doctors kind of, you know, busy, 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 running, grabbing this, drinking. And I look at them and I look sad because they're not aware. Um, you know, so of course they're not going to want us because they're in an energy crisis. They're really hungry. Uh, they're, in a, you know, they just need that sugar thing so they can go to the next case. Uh, and not all of them are obese, but we're blind to visceral abdominal fat sometimes it doesn't take much just a little bit of a belly pouch it's not body shaming or anything like that this just tells you there is a metabolic derangement happening um i, I was never obese but i nobody nobody thought i was overweight until i lost 35 pounds and then it's like oh my god like four or five inches disappeared where was this you know <laughs> um so yeah i think docs and dietitians are human beings that have their own Issues. That's why they project, but they're well-intentioned.
0: I I think you just hit the nail on the head perfectly. And, you know, after talking to dietitians and physicians, that does seem to be a very common underlying, you know, theme, if you will. So, but that's also true with like your friends and your family. Like when you say, oh yeah, I'm just eating meat. They're like, What? well, it's not going to hurt you if you just have a little bit of this or whatever, or, you know, they look at you like, that's just weird. That's not healthy, but yet here they are eating chips and, you know, candy and whatever else, six times a day. And yet, mm, because I eat only meat, I'm not healthy, (laughs) you know, so you get that. So it it is like this projection thing. I do believe that. So I learned not
1: to say anything, uh, uninvited. So, uh, I'm not I've there learned. to police people. Mm-hmm. Um, I do my thing. If, uh, if you don't like what I'm doing, and that's a reflection of you because you seem to find something about yourself doesn't, you know, doesn't sit well with you. You're just kind of making fun of me. So, I, uh, I I laugh about it. you know, uh, you got to shrug it off.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm trying to get there. I'm, t- I, I, I'm getting there. <laughs> and, and, <laughs> cool, like, but... I'm
1: 90. Now I am re- recently realized I'm probably 90, 95% carnivore. I just don't think about it this way. Just, I just eat yeah. the food that makes me feel the best. And I, and I still mm-hmm. indulge in things. So people love it when I see me eat like a piece of dessert. It's like, haha, yeah, I, got I bet. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, yeah, it's like, you know, get to my shape and then we, you can have all the dessert you want. You know, I,
0: mean? <laughs> I uh, agree with you. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Let me, um, is there ever a situation where a type two can't reverse it i i I, there's always exceptions and i always get you know somebody to comment about this like oh well you know um you don't know because you know this person this happened and they couldn't because whatever list some can things that can happen to where food you know changing your food is just not enough for a type
1: two sure sure uh I'm not going to claim to be an expert in endocrine, but there's a lot of subtypes of, uh, you know, after type two and how long you've had type two and then late onset, uh, you know, autoimmune uh, diabetes or something like that. And Jason Fung mentions some good theories there too about y- your pancreas is choked up and then stopped making insulin. Although you're insulin resistant, you also drop your insulin. So it takes longer to reverse that. And, or you may burn out your pancreas or, the cells that make the insulin where you reach a point where you're never going to be completely off medications because the damage has been so long but it doesn't mean it doesn't get better so instead of being on seven medications you can be on two Uh, so yes there are i think the limit is the effort and how much you're willing to go extreme to uh to reverse it you know some people don't want to go all the way i i guarantee if people go let's say carnivore, the most elimination diet, and they lose all the visceral, uh, extra-visceral fat, they will get to a point where they can get you glucose management. But that's not real life for most people. They're just gonna still be tempted. So it never heals completely. As soon as healing, you scratch it again. Um, So I'm sure some people are gonna always be on some medication, but being on metformin alone versus being on 150 units of insulin uh, is a completely different type of diabetes. You may have the same A1C, which people, uh, hemoglobin A1C, which is the marker of how the control of the diabetes, but that's just the tip of the iceberg. So the big difference between diabetic mm-hmm. with metformin versus diabetic 150, with, even with the same glucose number. One of on them is going to have all the complications, the other is much better. Mm, interesting.
0: Okay, let's talk with type 1 just real quick. Can a type one's situation be improved by working on their diet or should they just keep on eating them cupcakes and just up in their dosage as needed?
1: I think people, if they use just common sense, they get the answer. Uh, you're a human being who just doesn't make insulin. So insulin is crucial. Ins- insulin is not the devil. Insulin is actually important. We need those spikes to grow muscles and, store energy and you know uh, grow as a human being but when you don't make it you can't do that so you need to supplement it but if you do that and you go above and beyond you're no different after that point than a type 2 diabetic because you start or somebody who gains weight if you're type 1 diabetic and you're obese you become you basically have two diabetes you have type 1 and type 2 because mm-hmm. in my in my view because you have type 1 but you're also on so much insulin that you become insulin resistant, so you have to need more insulin. So a good type one, they tell you, people who have done type one low carb, is they barely, they need maybe, I don't know, less than 20 units of insulin a day where they can just manage. But I've seen type one who are morbidly obese and they're on 100 plus insulin, insulin pumps and all that stuff. So it's a spectrum. You're not gonna cure type one, uh, but you can live a normal life and not need, as much insulin and not the insulin resistance, which is the disease, Uh, you know? So, yeah.
0: That was very well put. I I, I think that that makes it really understandable. So I like that. Okay, you talked a little bit about visceral fat can you since we're kind of talking about obesity too can you talk about the danger specifically of uh, the visceral fat sometimes known as the beer belly on mm-hmm. men right um, versus the the outer subcutaneous fat
1: sure uh, visceral fat we all have visceral fat we all need some visceral fat and uh, more and more it's becoming important that, that it's more of an endocrine organ by itself because it, it secretes a lot of hormones uh, that are play a role in the overall health and signals and feedback but when it grows too much and be, uh, it became it, it just sending starts sending out a lot of these inflammatory uh, uh, signals um, and leads to further uh, insulin resistance and inflammation in the body and then just the spirals um uh, Uh, out of that. I mean, heart disease, for instance, is a chronic inflammatory disease, not just the plaque is coming from this inflammation. And these cytokines, whatever you want to call them, uh, um, they all lead to that. So and uh, when you have your organ is fatty, things are not flowing right, your liver is sick, your pancreas is sick, it's choked up uh, mechanically, and also been told by these uh, hormones and signals to, to do something you shouldn't be doing. Um, so that's why it's important to reverse that to a healthy vessel fat to decrease all these markers and, uh, reverse a lot of this inflammation.
0: Okay. Well, let's talk a little bit too about like health versus aesthetics. And what I mean by that is say you see somebody and they, they look thin, they look athletic, whatever based on their looks. Can you tell if somebody is actually healthy?
1: Sometimes you do, sometimes you don't, like, like everybody. Uh, but I've seen, it depends on ethnicity too. So um, for instance, Asians and Indians, I'm, you don't see a lot of obesity, but you're seeing extremely high rate of diabetes. Uh, and sometimes all you see is a tiny little pouch. So you have to have the eye of an artist to see um, the subtlety uh, of the visceral fat. And then, uh, and if you actually scan them for whatever reason, you, the read or the scan will tell you fatty liver disease or fatty pancreas or, you know, know, abdominal fatty tissue. So when you, you know, section it on the x-ray, you see completely different story inside, which is thin on the outside, fat on the inside. And that's, uh, so their fat threshold is completely different. I think that's a good concept to, for most people. Like some people can gain 300 pounds and never develop diabetes. And some people gain 10 pounds and become full-blown diabetes. I found obesity more of a protective mechanism. Uh, If you can't gain weight uh, to prevent you from getting disease, that's, uh, I would say it as an advantage. Sometimes I think, I don't know if I read it or thought about it, but I've become more in favor of that. Like obesity is more a protective mechanism in an energy of energy surplus. If you can't manage that, you become uh, diabetic and have more complications eventually it catches up to you. So if you keep going, so when you had 120 or hundred extra pounds on you, imagine if you couldn't gain fat, that you would have been so sick with diabetes and all these uh, mm-hmm. things. So I think your body being able to put on fat and store it. And a lot of it is subcutaneous tissue, which is more inert. We've um, got to talk about that. So yeah, so yeah subcutaneous tissue, which is, it's less toxic, just more storage. You just, you know, putting your energy there. Uh, So that's not bad. That's aesthetic. That's more just aesthetic. So, and that's common in women with hormones. And that's why fat deposits by hormonal influence uh, around the hips and legs. And that's normal uh, and healthy uh, versus abdominal fat, which is becomes toxic. So.
0: Can somebody tell if they are, have like subcutaneous, I mean, I'm not, I mean visceral fat. That's what I mean. Like what what is something that you can use to gauge that? Especially like somebody who who doesn't appear fat. What
1: is that? Oh, a tape measure. measure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, explain. Yeah, so I'm more I'm all about saving money for patients I don't I mean I don't want to have them spend and find cheap ways to determine if their weight is healthy or not. Um, I, I try not to succeed on the scale, but there's a, a measurement that I didn't obviously create. It's known. It's to height, waist to height ratio. So, and that's kind of a, a good surrogate for that. If your waist is more than half your height uh, on average, you have excess visceral fat. And that waist is not your pant size, not your hip size. It's really the largest part of your belly, more often around the belly button and right over the hip bone so if you measure that divided by your height in the same unit inches and inches centimeter centimeter and if you're getting more than 0.5 you know within a range you have too much visceral fat um, and so women tend to be mean you know, 0.51 0.52 0.53 it's fine uh, but men you know all the way down to 0.4, 0.42 is, is a good range. I like to aim for 0.5 for m- most people early in their journey, without having to measure much. So that's how I look at visceral fat.
0: Huh. I, I like that. That's really good. So that's
1: what I tell people just get the two dollar uh, tape measure and your scale. Like the combination it. is uh, information because you may lose fat around the belly without losing fat. Uh, I mean weight on the scale, still progress.
0: Uh, yes, agree. Agree. (laughs) I think people focus so much on the scale. And I know I did. And I have to be real careful with that because I know it will send me into a really bad place. So I have to be because I allowed that to dictate my mood, my day, my, my life, to be honest. And so I have to be real. I haven't quite got over all of that. I'm better now. I'm better now. But I still, you know, that scale stays in the corner. (laughs)
1: But people want something uh, objective to see the progress, you know. Yes.
0: And what I tell my clients, which... I've seen, I saw this and I'm like, why didn't I do that? Because for me, and I know a lot of people who are triggered, who have had eating disorders and et cetera, uh, numbers, you know, the size of their clothes, that what's on the tape measure, uh, what's yeah. on the scale dictates their value, their progress, their everything. There's, you know, yeah, success. Yeah. And I love the idea of taking a piece of yarn and then wrapping it around your waist at your belly button, cutting it. And then that way you see no numbers. You don't yeah. know if you're a size yeah, 26 or if like you're that. a size zero. And then you next time you do the same thing and then you just hold the ends of the string and, and hopefully you'll see a, you know, start to see a.
1: I like that more short, because short. Uh, yeah. every time they measure different, sometimes they are off by an inch or two, they get discouraged. So oh, a good idea. very much.
0: Numbers for me. And I'll admit it. And, 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 I, Th- they still do. I'm not going to yeah, lie, yeah. but it, it was a really hard thing for me. And I see that over and over and over and over again, yep, Yeah, know, especially when you're so focused on the weight aspect, instead of worrying about fixing your health. And yeah. let's talk a little bit about that, because I know that you feel that it's more of, um, get healthy to lose weight versus lose weight to get healthy. So talk a little bit about the importance of focusing on health and that making it easier to be able to uh, lose the excess weight later on. Uh, on
1: yeah, I on. mean, it, it goes back to, I think, obesity and diabetes or symptom of the disease, which is the insulin resistance problem. And that came, uh, became more, uh, you know, uh, I was becoming, became more conscious about it. when I, I, you know, I'm working with a group of 10 people that I, kind of gathered from Twitter, for, and I've been coaching them for free to, to help them. And then going back to the numbers, like a lot of times the numbers are not changing, but when I, you know, all this stuff, the migraines is going away, the um, headaches are going away, the rashes, everything starts improving, so they're getting healthier, and then the weight starts falling uh, afterwards. So I believe strongly, that I mean, weight is a symptom, a uh, consequence of, poor health uh, rather than a cause of poor health. Yes, it can become a vicious cycle. If you become so obese, you be, you, then you put problems on your lungs. You may have sleep apnea, you need a machine, and then you can have complications from that. Yes, then obesity becomes part of the problem. But until you get there, it was a consequence of poor health. So, the, so I focus, you know, don't worry about the scale. We just do it once a week or right now because we're just tracking numbers in this program. Let's and forget about it in between. Just focus on eating right, removing the junk, and then things start improving. And things that are improving that I didn't even know they had. All of a sudden, anxiety is lifting off. Uh, depression is gone. People are going on walks. Uh, joint pain is going away. I didn't even open my mouth about these things. I didn't even, they're just telling me that's happening to them. So it's no different than for weight. So I believe it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it makes everything so much easier. And when you're getting proper nutrition, that is such a huge, huge thing. And it does kind of, it makes it, you have more energy. Um, you're able to focus better. You're able to, you know, deal with the things that maybe you were too anxious to deal with before, but now yeah. you're kind of more even keeled with your hormones and all that. So you can now go, okay, let's deal with that emotional eating issue let's deal with that. But before it makes it really difficult when you're doing everything all at once, it's, it's, it's overwhelming. And I don't think Mm. people know where to start. So speaking of which, what, tell us kind of how your plan works. Like when you get a patient and they're unhealthy, maybe, maybe they have prediabetes and let's say they're, they're right at the obese level. What is your method? What, what do you do to help them out? What are the steps? Okay.
1: Uh, we're not talking about the hospital, right? We're talking about. Uh, right, right. Your coach. Right. Yeah. Yep. So it's kind of filtered itself because people who seek help and, and willing to invest in it, they're already motivated to want to make change. So they become more receptive. But I start usually with a, a big screen of their health. And I just get to know them emotionally, physically, uh, medications, medical history, all that stuff. I just kind of build that uh, rapport and have them, you know, answer questions for themselves to kind of why are you seeking help? Why do you want to, what would be different if you did that, you know? Um, And then uh, are you willing to do so and so, you know? And then they just, you know, kind of checks in with themselves. But I always start with where they are uh, and what they're not willing to do yet. And uh, and I don't push that. I, I put it aside. Most people don't want to lift a finger or move or exercise. I don't forget about it. I don't even care about uh, your exercise. So and I, I truly don't initially because most of them after a month or two they start walking by themselves and because they get the energy and they want uh, to exercise. So I focus on food. Um, that first of all removing the bad food and focusing on making sure they're not hungry. So I tell them, you gotta, it's, it's, we're doing two things at the same time. We're eating less of something, we're eating more. Um, because if you're, if you're hungry, you're gonna fail. Uh, if you're eating this junk, you're gonna fail. So we just have to find a way to, to do that. Some people dive all in. Some people have to wean themselves in. So start with the sugar and sodas and juices uh, and just start eating more protein, double your protein. N- nobody eats enough protein. Uh, so, when you start with that, kind of a week or two later, they feel better, uh, so they kind of buy into it, and then they get motivated. It's key to have trust and rapport um, with, the, with the patients, otherwise, uh, I mean, I can talk all day. It doesn't work <laughs> if they don't do it.
0: That's so true. Okay, I have a question, and this is something that I kept getting comments on. <laughs> how does somebody know if they're eating enough and i'm talking let's just say that what they do eat is is good so it's yeah, not an yeah, issue yeah. with what they eat but how do you know when you're getting enough uh,
1: it's a common thing people are eating healthy but they're not eating enough uh i think it's snacking is one of them if you start craving food um craving sweets or not sweet even craving healthy food or you just find yourself eating in between that means you're not eating enough. Uh, that's kind of a, the simplest way of, uh, of, of putting it. And I do think if you're metabolically healthy, you're insulin sensitive, uh, and you reach your steady state, if you're needing to eat more than twice a day, you're probably not eating enough uh, during those meals. Um, I can't remember the last time I ate three times a day. I used to eat three, five times a day, you know, but uh, so there's nothing wrong with eating three times a day. If maybe your portions are smaller, you just like to structure your day like that. But if you're eating enough uh, twice a day, is, I feel is a good gauge that you're eating enough. And time you're snacking, um, is uh, you're not eating enough or there's an emotional stress. I and mean, is that whole department that you have to focus on, especially late eating. Uh, but yeah snacking in between meals is a telltale that you're not eating enough.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. But I I put out what I eat in a day in some posts, because so many people ask me, and okay, I'm five foot two, I'm not a big person. Okay. And I'm almost 55, I'll be 55 in July. And I'm kind of getting to that perimenopausal stage, right. And it was like, you're not eating enough. And I'm like, never hungry i don't know what to tell you i physically can't eat anymore i physically can't eat anymore (laughs) i'm not restricting i promise i'm really not but you know for most people they're like oh that's not enough calories for me i eat like twice as much as you do and i'm like but i'm not hungry you're not hungry that's that's the key
1: the worst thing people do is eat when they're not hungry because Mm -hmm. anticipating hunger then you're going to guarantee you're going to get hungry because it depends what you eat, but you're going kind to of mess with your hormonal uh, homeostasis. I mean, your body's telling you don't eat, don't force it. Uh, if you spike that insulin and you crash after that, then you're going to get hungry uh, from just uh, low sugar. Um, but women are a little different because uh, I'm recently mm-hmm. learning um, about the hormonal cycle and the hunger times. So if you, you got to capitalize and lose it as leverage. If you're on your period and you have no appetite, it's fast. That's fine. Um, it's more about the average rather than the day to day. And then if you're pre period and you're ravenous and nothing's you know, you can't stop eating, uh, it's fine. Eat, but to eat the right quality of food. So I can consistently eat the same way every day, but I can I understand some people aren't, especially women with hormonal cycles. You have to work with it. It's more about the average rather than today. I didn't eat enough. But protein is one measure. If they're looking at numbers and they like to track something. Uh, the only thing I like to track is uh, amount of protein guesstimate mm-hmm. per, uh, for each body is different, but at least have a minimum um, that I recommend. Once they hit that, there is no room for anything else. They usually are pretty full. So, what,
0: What's your view on fat? Um, a, another thing I got to is you're not eating enough fat, even though like 60 to 70% of my overall calories actually were fat.
1: Yeah, I changed a lot about my view on fat. Uh, I don't think fat is bad. We're not talking about seed oils, we're talking about right, right, and right. animal, fat. animal so fat. So the yes. normal, uh, normal fat, healthy fats, olive oil, that's fine. Um, I used to think you can eat unlimited amount of it, uh, but then well, for me it worked. I changed because of my, my rash from the ketosis, but for a lot of women, uh, they, they lose the first 20 pounds and then stop, feel great um and then you're insulin you're very insulin sensitive but you're not losing anyway and you have to ask yourself why you have to be a scientist because fat is energy if you're taking taking the energy in why would your body tap into your own fat stores it has to get rid of that one way or another where you increase your metabolic rate or use it for energy but at the end of the day you have too much energy um uh i'm borrowing probably Ted's words but you know uh uh that name uh, but that energy is, um, is there, uh, so you, you become insulin sensitive, you lose that weight, you lose that water weight, and you, but then you have to focus on too much fat stops you. Uh, so I shifted uh, protein, you don't use it so much for energy unless the body absolutely has to in a starvation mode or anything like that, So you use it to build uh, muscles and recycle things and stuff like that. So right now, I tell them, eat whatever fat with your protein to get full. And let's see what happens. If you stop losing weight, then there's something we need to do. Uh, because at first, they're experimenting. They're not insulin sensitive. When they cut out carbs, if you tell them to limit fat too, they're going to they're gonna go into crisis mode because they're not, they're not able to get that fat out of the, of the deep freezer. So it, it's going to take time to, to do that. So you need to supplement with fat until these genes wake up again and start... Uh, breaking down fat back into the circulation. Um, So yeah, it it kind of depends on the state. But at the end of the day, almost everybody eats more fat than they need and less protein than they need. So I tell them, I switch the proportion. You're still in keto. It's the low carb that keeps you in ketosis, but we've changed the proportion and the fat. uh, I mean, the fat weight starts dropping after that.
0: Uh, Yeah, I I totally agree with that. (laughs) And I'm like okay, but how do you know what's going on in my body? How can you tell me I, I, I need 90% fat? How? how? I, I still have fat on my body. You know, I do I really, see. really, really, really need that? Really?
1: No, my simple mind thinks if you have too much fat on your body, you don't need extra, you need to tap into that. And to tap into that, you need to not get more. I'm really not a medical you know, <laughs> statement, just kind of in common sense, uh, you know? Uh, somebody said uh, fasting is a high fat diet, which is uh, true because when you fast or eat less fat and you're keeping low carb, you eat yourself because you need energy constantly 24 7. So if you're not getting it from food, your body's going to get it as lazy. It's going to get from your body. Uh, it's lazy when you have food, so it's not going to try. Um, you have to put it in a position to, to do it.
0: I, I 100% agree with that. Ew. Okay, we are pretty close to time. I'm going to go through uh, some of these questions, make sure we got everything. Oh, just a few little, little minute questions to answer since you are a doctor. I always like to ask doctors because I'm always curious of their opinions. What do you feel about organ meats? Do you feel that that is something absolutely necessary for, for good health?
1: Um, I like organ meat, Uh, I know some people thrive without organ meat, Uh, organ meat was part of my culture growing up, we eat liver raw, we eat kidneys, we eat brain, we eat so much, so many things, I could never get around to eating brain for texture reason, but they tell me it's delicious, but um, I think there is extra nutrition there, but whether you're less healthy without eating it, I don't know. Uh, But I think, uh, you know, a lot of people uh, do just well on steak. Uh, And I eat organ meat very rarely. Occasionally I eat chicken heart, chicken liver, uh, you know. But marrow, I add marrow sometimes. Uh, So I think people, you can be healthy. I think it's removing the bad stuff is more important. And you're going to get a lot of it from from the other thing. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't think... It's not bad. The fat in it is not, I I've already established that. I don't believe fat is the enemy. It's actually uh, a lot of good stuff. There's essential fats we cannot get. There's vitamins we cannot get without eating uh, animal uh, proteins. So otherwise it's a supplement. Um, and I think eggs are organs, organ meat. you eat eating the whole chicken in, in, a, in an egg form. So I think eggs uh, is a good uh, substitute for organ meat because you get a lot of the good stuff, uh, uh, so I think about egg yolk, uh, at least sometimes. Uh.
0: Hmm, interesting. Yeah. I like that. Uh, d- just out of curiosity, have you ever had people who um, are like get nauseous when they eat eggs? I do that. I- yes. Not bad, but there's just something, and, and it's not that I dislike them. I just don't want them very often. And when I do, I have just a slight nausea. Uh,
1: my sister is like that. She loves to be able to eat more eggs, but if she, eats more too much or too often, um, she she gets nauseous or she gets uh, sometimes bloated. I never understand why, I never investigated. I can eat eggs all day long and, and actually mm-hmm. eat. Like, I don't know what's wrong with you, but uh, you know, it's <laughs> just, uh, so I know some people do. I, I don't know what the sensitivity to the egg white. Um, is it the chicken feeds he noticed when she when I get some eggs from pasta-raised farmer's market type chickens, just eating whatever, uh, she has less reaction to it than store-bought mm. eggs. So there's something there, whether it's um, egg sensitivity or whatever proportion of feed it, uh, in it. But mm. I think it, it does exist, which is unfortunate because it's that's my go-to. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I don't dislike them. And, and I've eaten them my whole life. It's just, I have started to recognize, I guess, because I eat so clean, really, that yeah. when I, I notice things that are slightly not quite right. I mean, it's not major and I still eat them, but it's like- Have you
1: tried like the egg yolk alone versus the egg white alone? I actually one haven't.
0: I, I really, yeah. I don't really think I have in any way. It really. would be
1: interesting to see which part is- Yeah. The, hopefully yeah. only the egg white because a lot of nutrition in the egg- Yolk, so I do. you can tolerate. I like uh, the egg yolk. <laughs> yeah, that's why right. I don't maybe like you can the white. More egg, uh, so you can remove a lot of the egg white and eat less yeah. egg white. I may try white. that.
0: That might be a good experiment. I'll, I'll have to try <laughs> that. Okay. Um, oh, I, I saw something uh, that you posted that I just want a little clarification on. You said um, that we're actually dealing with two different pandemics. I like that post. Can you elaborate just a little? About it doesn't have to COVID, be in yeah. depth. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, um, I mean, as a hospitalist, I had also the um, privilege to take care of COVID patients. Um, and then, uh, I was on the front front, like they, I was the hospital, thinking only nobody, not a doctor would see them when I mean only the hospitals because they want to minimize exposure. Oh, okay. And, um, and the common theme is uh, obesity and diabetes in people who end up in the hospital. Uh, I know a lot of people who got COVID and don't have that, so they don't end up in the hospital. But almost, I mean, you can't control if you're old or you have some cancer or some other things. But a lot of the young people who ended up in the hospital, on oxygen in the ICU, uh, intubated or dying, <clears throat> healthy, no other medical problems, unless you look at it from a visceral fat perspective and then you see a common uh, thing and that's that's a real problem uh, I think COVID would have been a no issue for uh, for us if uh, we were metabolically healthy and that's the sad part and people I took some heat for that people think I was shaming people and telling them that, you know fat and you know stuff like that but I was just pointing out that it's a fact that if you have mm-hmm. insulin resistance Diabetes, obesity—you are much more likely to have complications, end up in a hospital, and dying. And that's the real epidemic, pandemic, whatever you call. It. And that's under our control. You can't control the virus; it's doing what it wants to do. Uh, you know, you can you can try to hide, or you can get you know, uh, or you can eat better. Um, so, see,
0: I 100% agree with that. And as we've been discussing through this whole podcast is that those conditions can be improved. And if you improved those conditions, you wouldn't have to worry so much about every illness out there, every virus, every bacteria, every whatever. And I'm not saying it's not going to hit you hard or anything like that, but, but it gives your immune system the best chance of doing what it's supposed
1: to do that exactly, uh,
0: yeah. we have it for a reason
1: yeah i mean i do think COVID. i mean i've seen the worst of the worst complications and some people their only problem really is their 30s and they're just a little bit overweight sometimes it's not like they're sick and they were destined to do that you would be shocked some people are obese and they walk out of the hospital just fine uh, and, and you can never guess who's gonna get hit hard but you know it's an increased uh, risk and what you to, to comment on what you said unfortunately. The report came out that most people gain on average what 20 pounds this past year uh so if we were able to gain 20 pounds we could have all lost 20 pounds on average and if we have done that in reverse that would imagine how healthier we will be as a society um but uh i mean i don't want to get political but uh, it's uh, it's sad that we uh, you know we're keeping uh, people more indoors and no sun exposure, no activities, uh, eating junk food, you know, and that I think it made things worse.
0: Oh, absolutely. And the fact that you don't have as much contact with humans, you need that to thrive. And yeah. I never fully understood just how much I need it. Than this past year and a half. <laughs> Luckily, we weren't as you know um, bad off as as other places. Yeah, so right, I st- right. I still even had socialization, but compared to what I would normally right, do right. or whatever, and, and and that's harmful for people, especially little kids. You know, uh, so course, you, you, uh, you don't have that human contact. So yeah, important. even
1: when you're uh, hanging out together, you're still not hugging and touching and play being playful. That still has a effect. I recently started doing jujitsu just for exposure as a new sport. Uh, And, um, you know, in a a, a loving, I mean, I love actually the contact and the sweat. And, you know, people would think I'm weird, but that that, that kind of uh, physical touch, and uh, I don't know, it does something to the uh, to the mind, because you walk out of there feels almost like high on the Mm -hmm. energy and, uh, you know, you feel more human. Yeah. You got dirt and got injured or got sweaty. You just take a shower, you know,
0: but that's good. That's all good for you. That's good for your immune system to get a little yeah. dirty, to, to get down and, you know, exactly. yeah, I, I treat my granddaughter a little bit differently than I did my kids. My kids for me, they were spotless. Never were they yes, dirty, yes, like yes. ever, ever. I mean, they had a little runny nose. Mm, I'm cleaning it, you know, and I changed their clothes three and four times a day. My grandbaby. Different story, she can go play in the sand, she can play in the dirt. I'm like, work on that immune system, baby, go for Wait. it. You, know? you can always
1: return her, you can always return her to her mother. And- <laughs> she's <laughs> dirty now. No <laughs> problem.
0: But you know, she's probably gonna be healthier for that. So I, there's definitely something to, yeah. you know, seeding your immune system. Right, exactly, I, I believe it. Okay, right. so let, let's uh, uh, pull everything together. I want you to give everybody your best tips of improving your health and your immune system,
1: really. Sure. Well, one it's a decision. You have to recognize that you are unhealthy and you want to make a decision and make a change. And once you make that mental change, the rest becomes easy. Um, to become healthy medic- physically and uh, you know, emotionally, all that stuff, it really goes back to food is medicine. And then uh, it's about more removing the stuff that's toxic. So junk food, you don't have to become carnivore, keto, anything like that. Just stop uh, junk food, replace uh, your pantry food with more healthy food. And uh, don't be afraid of meat and eat your vegetables, whatever you want. You can eat your fruit, whatever you want. I'm not making you zero carb, but uh, I think just if you eliminate sugar as much as possible, refined flours and any processed industrial oils for your cooking, I think that alone will, will make you so much healthier than the rest of the population. Add eating more and gets full and satiated, then uh, it's effortless after that. It's hard, it's simple, it's not easy. Uh, you just have to do the work initially and it becomes uh, second nature. If you're not motivated enough, look at your families. Uh, like if you have grandfather, father, mother, or grandmother with diabetes and complications, that's you. Uh, you can't change your genetics, uh, but you can, uh, you can change um, whether they turn on or not you know for that.
0: And, and I, I know you have other tips. So we, we hit the food. What other things like when you're looking at it holistically Yes. What are some, because food is a big piece, but what about all the other
1: little pieces? The mind and the emotion. So uh, you, you got to nourish your mind. You want to stop like feeding your mind like crap. Process, basically all this junk news with social media, which is a you know, double-edged sword. You can learn a lot, but you can also become completely taken, uh, uh, become anxious from it. So uh, clean, also go on a diet mentally, uh, learn something new uh, I mean I pick up a book like learn a new skill um, I like philosophy sometimes I read some stoicism uh, kind of helps me deal with the different issues in life uh, outside the sun is wow well, I tweeted something the best doctors right now is food sun sleep um, you know uh, exercise and, and laughter so you know just spend time with others less on your phone um, eat better, walk out in the sun, uh, exercise—all uh, these things. Mental health and uh, face your your demons, face your emotions. You, you gotta process the uh, stuff, uh, physical, mental, and emotional. So if you need a counselor, go to a counselor. Just deal with these issues. If you're physically healthy, but mentally and emotionally not there, what's the point?
0: Yes. <laughs> and that's why I wanted you to come on because I love how you kind of work on everything. It's awesome because I'm understanding this more and more. I, I was more focused so much on diet that I didn't, I mean, I knew this stuff was important, but I didn't really focus on, this, focus on it. And now I'm like, okay, this is a big piece, but there's all this other stuff too. <laughs> so well, there's a reason that. you
1: were so physically sick. I was in the same boat. When you're so physically sick and in pain and whatever that's you, you focus on that. Once you lifted that, you became healthier. All of a sudden, you can be aware of all the things, and you become more interested in the personal growth and mental growth and
0: stuff. Absolutely, like that. and that's why
1: you're evolving. If you're the same person you were last year, you're not. Something you're, isn't right, you know.
0: Yes, yes, I love that. Perfect. Well, Eli, it has been a pleasure, and I appreciate Thank you, you coming on. Oh, and hey, y'all, follow subscribe to my channel and go follow Eli. I'll have all his information below. And awesome. again, Thank it was a you. pleasure. Was
1: and you have really a wonderful beautiful. day. Awesome, yeah. you Bye, care. Eli. Bye.